Congratulations, you made it to the X-Fill. You can sit back, relax, unpack your bags, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger here, and with me as always is my co-host Ronald, a.k.a. Eric. If you are brand new, welcome. This is an Escape from Tarkov podcast where we talk about all things EFT, and our goal is to get better at the game, and we hope you come along with us on that journey. But before we get into that, let's get into hideout keeping. I wanted to let everybody know we've started adding a a bunch of new channels to the Discord, uh, namely the Among Us channel, because there's a bunch of people that have been playing Among Us, and I actually sat in and listened to a couple of those matches this week, and it is hilarious to listen to people accuse each other of lying and try to figure out who's who is uh, the imposter getting after everybody else. So there's a new Among Us channel uh, that was Born primarily because the codes uh, for getting into games were being spammed into the general chat. So we've clarified some of the chats. There's now general Tarkov chat. There is Among Us. And then we've also added a screenshots, a IRL section for selfies or whatever you want to put there. And we also added a dreaming Tarkov section which is basically for sharing systems or changes that you'd like to see in Tarkov, why you'd like to see those changes, and the results you think it would cause. Uh, Now, this is a slow-mode channel. There's rules in the rules section about it, but the idea is to put fully fleshed-out thoughts there, and there's not going to be massive discussions in that channel. It's designed to move those to general chat and tag the author if you want to talk about it. So, If you've got an idea or a couple ideas, this is the place to put it uh, so that there's kind of a universal spot for those ideas to land if you think changes or a system needs to be added to the game. And uh, the reason we did that was we had some amazing conversation in the episode feedback section of the Discord, and those tend to get lost because Discord isn't a forum. It's hard to scroll up and find that stuff. So we wanted to have a place for ideas that could be a little bit more long-lived, I guess is the way I would say it. So uh, that's what those sections are. Take part in them. And as I'm speaking about Discord, and I'm sorry, this is long-winded, I know, but since we're talking about all these additional channels, different sections, um, I want to tell you, if you're not familiar with Discord, there's a few things that you can do especially if there are sections you just don't care about. So if you're on PC, you can right-click a channel or a category and you can mute it, which will stop it from notifying you and telling you there's unread messages there. And additionally, you can set up your notifications for the server as a whole, uh, which is primarily related to being tagged, uh, which we really do very little of, like less than 10 times in the nine months that we've been doing this Discord. So you can set up all of these things. If there's a channel you really don't want to see, like if you're not interested in Among Us at all, mute that category and you won't see any of the conversation going there and it won't tell you there's an unread message. So if you have questions about that, you can reach out to me or Ronald 
we've been really cautious to add channels, but we're just getting to the point where we're probably going to be making some sections for other games. We have other podcasts that are probably going to roll into this Discord, etc. So look for that. And uh, that's pretty much all that's going on in Discord. Yeah, other things are always the same. Best way to support the show, share it with somebody that you know, a friend, a new player, whatever. And you can find me at MTB Trigger in all of the places, primarily Twitch and Twitter. And you can always reach out to me in Discord at MTB Trigger as well. So, Ronald, how are you, man? Sorry for the long-winded intro, but let these fine folks know how you're doing and how they can get in touch with you as well. Hey, what's up, everybody? Doing great this week. It's been a fun week of talking about PvE and Tarkov with the community. We've had some great conversations in Discord, like Mike was saying, and I'm glad that we have a new section coming that we can capture that because some of those conversations can last for a long time and we can look back at it as they add things or as they take things away. And who knows, some of our ideas may get added to the game. But as always, the best way to get in touch with me is through Discord. Send me a DM in Discord. I get DMs every day in Discord, and I love talking to people in the Xville community. It's a great way to chat. It's almost like email for gamer nerds, and I love it because it's a great way to really, you know, send a message and then, hey, you can get back to you when you got a minute to get back to your message. So that's the best way to get a hold of me. I do want to emphasize that you can put filters in Discord, just like Trigger was saying, so you can mute certain channels so you don't get as many notifications and that does help because if you globally mute the entire channel what ends up happening is that you don't see any activity from it at all whereas if you just mute a channel or two within an entire discord then you can just have notifications from the places that you are most interested in and that's a big deal especially if you're new to discord there are multiple ways that you can control kind of the information that you get through discord so take full advantage of that I don't know, Trigger, maybe we'll do a video on, on how to manage Discord because, I mean, it's it's a thing, right? If you've never used Discord before, it, there's a lot to it. It's simple in the beginning, but actually has a pretty complex system for managing how and what you can do with it. Other notable things this week, there are some new YouTube videos up. If you haven't already checked them out, go check them out. We've got some videos on uh, other games, PUBG, some tutorials on PUBG. We've got some videos on the new RTX 3000 series. I give some commentary on kind of how I think it's going to fit into the gaming world and what to expect from that. I also did a video on how to make your computer faster, how to remove some of that default Windows programs that come with prepackaged computers. And frankly, if you just install Windows from scratch, it's going to install a bunch of things on your computer. There's a video up on how to easily and quickly Remove that. I do it step by step. Takes less than five minutes. Guarantee it's going to help out your uh, computer speed. But there's other ways to get a hold of me. You can follow me on Twitter at Ronald Gaming. You can send me a message through Twitter, or you can email the show at xpmedia2020 at gmail.com if you have something that's more formal or just something that you don't want to send through Discord. And finally, I do hang out a couple times a week in twitch.tv slash mtbtrigger while we watch Trigger Stream and have a good time can answer questions live in the stream, talk to the community members, or just be silly and have a good time, which is kind of how that always turns into. So be sure to drop in there and say hello. But getting into tonight's show, uh, we're pretty excited to talk about food. So Trigger, why don't you take us into our first uh, first topic? <laughs> well, I love food. I do too. And you know what? Before we get into what you see in the show notes, I have to do something really quick. I got it here for you. Um back in the, the frame now and i just i had a, a special uh 
purchase this week, and I just wanted you mm-hmm. to know how I feel about your Golden Grams. <laughs> Dead. It's over. <laughs> so, That's um, okay. <laughs> I'm still friends with you, even though you have no taste, and you obviously don't have <laughs> any taste in cereal. And you know what the best thing about Golden Grams over Cinnamon Toast Crunch is? is It was pointed out in the Discord, and I, I, I firmly agree that Cinnamon Toast Crunch is very limp in a very short amount of time when, you, when it's in the milk, versus Golden Grams really holds its texture together in a very meaningful way to allow you to enjoy it without having to rush through. Yeah, you, you and the four out. people that, <laughs> that voted on your picture can, can stick to that. You know, I... I got to say, I had my wife go buy it because I hadn't had Golden Grams in seriously, like, I'm I'm going to guess and say 15 years, but it's probably even more than that. I don't remember the last time I had them. So when she was going to the store, I was like, hey, will you get some Golden Grams? And she's like, huh? <laughs> like, I need them, please. And uh, we, we kind of, we demolished it. Like, here's the thing. Golden Grams is, it's not bad, um, but it's it's not Cinnamon Toast Crunch in my opinion, but Here's here's the thing I don't understand about actually, Golden Grams. Actually, we agree on that completely. It's not Cinnamon Toast Crunch. You're right. We both agree on that. I was saying that to imply that it is significantly worse than Cinnamon Toast Crunch, so I will clarify my statement. And see, and here I am trying to agree with you. I appreciate that, but <laughs> the thing for me, and, I, and it, this seems like a silly thing, but like, do you ever like eat something and you want to like it really bad, and then there's just like one little thing about it that like doesn't work for you. For me, with Golden Grams, I'm, I'm not a big fan of like Ginger Snaps, the cookies, and it's the aftertaste of that cookie that really bugs me. And Golden Grams are really good like while you're eating them, but then after you take that last bite of Golden Grams, you have that like Ginger Snap like staleness to your mouth and it just like it bugged me man i was like i was like these are really good these are really good and then i finished and i was like that's why these aren't as good as cinnamon toast crunch in my opinion it's just not a flavor profile that works for me it's the same reason i don't like ginger snap cookies because they're great while you're eating them but then i don't think they taste good the aftertaste just isn't good so see i think we can find some common ground here i actually don't like the aftertaste of either cereal because i mean golden grams you're right has got like the most artificial not natural aftertaste ever yeah and and cinnamon toast crunch feels like you just ate a pound of brown sugar see i don't see what's wrong with that (laughs) (laughs) they're both great while they're going down right yeah but it's like five minutes after where it's like it's it's the same thing so you know all right we can we can find we can find some some switzerland here yeah in the sense that the aftertaste Oh, <laughs> some of this stuff is not good. <laughs> hey, if you missed it, after the last episode, we actually put up a uh, another poll, episode 37 vote in the Discord. So if you're feeling passionate about what we're talking about here, you can still vote. We'll leave it up. It's always fun to uh, talk about things not gaming related. And uh, the reason that that came up was we actually had a question from Fanboy Nate uh, in the Discord asking us, what is our favorite snack to eat while playing Tarkov? So I'll let you kick this one off. What do you what do you like to munch on while you're playing Tarkov? Mm, well, since I had to stop being fat a long time ago. So there, there's there's two answers to this question, like what I want and what I actually do. So if I could pick anything. So let, let's just assume that you could have 10,000 calories and it'd be fine, right? Every night you sit down in the game. I love sweet tarts. Those are awesome. Mm. And then naturally, you got to balance that sugar with something salty. So I either go with almonds or 
pretzels. And then once you eat enough of that, you got to swing back towards the sweet side. So I, I would follow it up with some kind of an ice cream bar, chocolate ice cream bar type situation. And then you, you're thirsty. So soda's good. The stereotypical soda, right, for any gamer is Mountain Dew. So And in the back in the day, dude, it uh, would kill two liters of Mountain Dew. Are you a Code Red kind of guy? You know, Code Red's not bad. So I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say Code Red is as bad as Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but I'm gonna say that Code Red is not as good as just regular straight up Mountain Dew. Yeah. Now it's I think we both can agree it's not as bad as clear Pepsi. Oh no. That was bad. Yeah. That was I'm, bad. I'm with you. So, regular Mountain Dew is just all day, go for it. I don't have it very often, but if I can go after it now, yes. And Code Red's okay. one of those like in the moment. I want a code red right now. You know what I mean? It's 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 a different yeah. thing entirely. Yep. So, I mean, the only time, truthfully, that I ever had the other Mountain Dews, the code red, the blue, the orange, was at Taco Bell. My wife loves Taco Bell, and I, I don't like the after effects on me of Taco <laughs> Bell. <laughs> That's fair. But doesn't stop me from eating it. So, it goes down, you know, so it's in that food category. So, so here's a question for you. Are you an original Mountain Dew? Or are you like a sh- the real sugar Mountain Dew guy? Uh, Those are two I, different I like things. the original, just like the regular can, not the sh- not the pure the cane sugar one, I think is what you're talking about. Yep. So, are you a can of Dew Mountain Dew guy or the 2-liter bottle? Cuz there is a difference in taste. It's slight, it's subtle. You have to be kind of fat and drink it a lot to notice, but it does it is there and it's it's there. I think whenever possible, if I have an option, I think I'm a can guy. I like an ice cold can of just about anything. But furthermore, Mountain Dew is probably the only soda that I actually also enjoy drinking warm out of a can. And I don't think I would drink warm Mountain Dew out of a two liter. That, yeah, is that I weird? Don't... You didn't say anything right after <laughs> I, I I can't drink it warm either way. But really? Okay. I, yeah, I can't drink it warm either way. I don't think. Yeah, and I also don't like it flat either. So it's I I, I like it fresh. Break the seal. Get it done. Don't let it sit. It's there to be drank. There's no reason, boys, to let it sit. Yeah. Get it down. I like Move it. on. Next thing. Yeah. So for me though, for snack wise, like if it's like a, just a snack kind of thing, trail mix all day. I like having like a little like bowl of trail mix just to like kind of munch on throughout. But I will say this, I am a sandwich lover and probably one of my biggest downfalls as it comes to food. If it's midnight and I'm going to be gaming for a little while longer, like till one or two in the morning, we've done it, right? We've all, we've all been there. My favorite thing to do is to make a sandwich and it's so bad for me. I know that. But like I'm I'm going all in on a sandwich at like midnight, dude. Like that's my favorite thing to eat while like late night gaming and it's so bad. I don't do it very often anymore, but every now and then, you know, you got like leftovers or something and you can just make just an awesome sandwich. It's the way. Yeah. And though now that we've talked about at least for me, I've talked about what I would eat if calories were no no question. Now that I'm older and I have to watch that, I actually I drink a lot of uh Zevia. It's like soda that you know doesn't have sugar in it and lots of water and and i also too trail mix is really good Mm. but i i like almonds i eat a lot of almonds okay that kind of thing well if you've got a favorite food out there that you like to to eat while uh playing tarkov let us know this will be a fun one in the comments so yeah get it down there in the youtube comments or in the uh in the discord somewhere 
Yep, let's talk about it. It's always fun to talk about food with all the all the nerds. So, all right, let's dive into Tarkov. Yes, yes, it has been almost 20 minutes. Yes, we know that. Don't <laughs> worry about it. You'll be fine. That's what the timestamps so, are for. <laughs> that's right. So, let's talk about PvE again. We've had some great, great conversation around PvE. Don't worry, the whole episode's not going to be about PvE. We want to touch a little bit on this before we get into our main talking point for this week. So let's talk about PVE. We've had some really, I would say, really diverse opinions. Trigger, why don't you start us off? Where where should we go with this? Yeah, I think I hit some of it talking about the Dreaming Tarkov. And I guess what I don't want to do is steal the thunder from other people that have been putting out some really fleshed out ideas that are in the episode feedback section of the Discord right now. But I guess what I what I wanted to talk about was as as we're talking through this and you and I have gone through it <clears throat> naturally when we're talking about adding in more PVE content to a game I always find that it's easy to like go into this PVP versus PVE and I think that sells both of them too short because I think both PVP and PVE can exist on their own, but they don't have to be battling each other. I think they can actually support each other. And some of the thoughts that were put out in the Discord, um, and, and a shout out to everybody for having like meaningful discussions about this and not just flaming each other. That's the coolest part, by the way. But I think if we get into like PvP versus PvE, I think that's too simple. And I think it doesn't do either of them a service. And I guess for me, the way that it boils down is I love doing PVE tasks and skill tests and testing for mechanical skill, strategy, puzzles, coordination, all of that kind of stuff. And then on the other hand, for PVP, that's where I get my like drive to get better. It's what energizes me. And that's what makes me really dig deep into a game. And for me, it's about testing myself against better players. And it's the thing that always gets me to go back for more is I want to not just compete against other people, but I want to get good enough to where I can stand up to the best players in the game. And that's what's always driven me. And so I don't think those things are at odds. I enjoy floating back and forth between them. So I guess that's what I thought about after reading all of that awesome feedback and conversation was that I don't want to say that it's a PvP versus PvE because I don't think that's it. And I'm going to encourage people not to think that way because I don't think it has to be a versus thing. I can I think it can be a PvP and PvE or a combination of them that just brings the game to another level. I think if you think of PvE as a it always has to be some kind of opposite of PvP or the two systems can't be complementary to each other. I think you're missing out on really what the benefit could be to both. If you play PvE, and I've said this a bunch of times because I've played a lot of games and it always ends up in a situation, or I should say, sometimes it can end up in a situation where PvE is thought of as less than because AI is not as smart or as intuitive or as naturally difficult to play against as another person, right? And there is truth to that. There, There is truth to that. But also, what I like is there's also truth that PvE is very good at teaching people how to play games, and PvE is also good at helping people who want to relax playing a game instead of, instead of having a somewhat stressful game against someone who you are playing against a dynamic PvP human, 
all those things, creating a situation which may be not as relaxing, the fun factor comes into play. And we don't always play games to be at the height of intensity (laughs) and anxiety for the experience. So you have to have both, I think, in the end. And Tarkov knew this when they originally designed the game, and that's where scav running comes from. Scav running serves a lot of different purposes, but it definitely is meant to be not as intense of an experience for gameplay as the full-on raiding situation. I think that as we've talked about PvE for the last couple of weeks, we've tried to focus around maybe the benefit of PvE for the PvP player. But also there is a lot of things that PvE just by itself can bring to the game, which just brings in a whole nother group of players. You know, I would like to shout out like Kawibunga and Muzi Zuzi in the Xville Discord because I especially liked your comments on episode feedback for last week when Kawibunga was talking about how it's just nice to have a way to relax, especially if you're in a string of raids that are bad, right? Everybody has had a string of however many raids that is where you've just lost and you're just, you can't win. And the more frustrated you get, the worse you play, right? Because you're just trying to force it and it doesn't happen. And if there was some kind of a PVE experience to offset that time investment or offset those options to play, it could be something that just could help you get out of your funk and move forward. And I really think that was a great comment. That's something that I'd like to see in the game. And Muzi Zuzi was talking about how they could have like a shooting range or something like that, or some kind of PVE system that could contribute to your skills, you know, because the skills don't mean a whole lot right now, but you could have some kind of PVE system where you could add gun mastery or something like that, right? Something where you could learn how to use the guns instead of just getting lucky with guns. And then over time, they just get better and you don't really understand why, which is honestly probably what happens for most people, let's be honest. But if you had a system in the game where you could learn more about why ergo matters, why vertical recoil matters, you know, why why these things matter. And and that, that concept I thought was great. I, I'm not sure exactly where it would go, and I'm not saying it's a perfectly thought out idea, but starting with something like that, I think, is a great idea. So shout out to those guys. Thanks for participating in episode feedback. That was great. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think one of my favorite parts about that is when we went into speculation land and we start talking about the things that we wanted to see and we start seeing what other people wanted to see. There's this whole sort of like back burner argument that always gets pushed up that, you know, Battlestate won't do this. They will do this. They've said they've done this. And some of that stuff is a year old. Some of it's a month old. Some of it's three years old. And it gets used as, well, this is where the game's going. And and that's a really challenging thing when it comes to talking about stuff like PvE and, and what this stuff could be, you know, because I learn stuff through that. But for example, there was somebody that said that the current tasks that we're doing are side tasks and that there's a whole uh, main task line being developed. And I feel like I had seen that somewhere, but it's not something that's at the forefront of my mind because for the past eight months or so, that hasn't been conversation in the Tarkov podcast, the Russian podcasts, all of those other sources that hasn't been talked about. And so when I started really paying attention to Tarkov was December, right? And so it's it's a really good learning opportunity. And it's why I, I love the conversation around this and why we just wanted to have kind of another little summary talk about PVE again before we jump into some more PVP stuff. But I just want to encourage that 
try not to kill arguments by saying that Battle State said something two years ago so that that's not going to happen. It can be really fun to think through this stuff. Like you just said, Ron, you said something new tonight that I just hadn't really put a whole lot of thought into, but it's all of the little game systems could be attacked from a PvE perspective, not only to teach a player about it, but to explain why it's important and how it could be important. You know, it's it's one thing to understand that this is a meta gun and everyone knows the highest ergo is the best meta gun if you like high ergo or the lowest recoil or whatever. But understanding the scale of low ergo to high ergo is not something that you sort of figure out. Like, you know, yeah, if you have a 72 ergo gun, that feels really fast. But what's a 61? And, and what's the real scale? There is some real opportunity for this stuff. And I, I would love to see PVE tackle that. I absolutely agree. I personally would would think that there's an opportunity to create a PVE specific mission or a PVE specific environment where if if the gun doesn't have at least 60 ergo or if it doesn't if the vertical recoil isn't at a certain point you can't complete it so you illustrate the need for it and and I think that missions like that in a PVE system would create such a better PVP environment for people who really value playing against other players when they're at their best. Yeah. Because I think truly good people at PvP want a system where it's you bring your best, I bring my best, and we have a great time. A system in the PvE realm, all that's going to do is just make everybody better, and which is going to make PvP better in the game. And I really think that there's a great opportunity there. And I bet we'll see some variation of it. There's also been some ideas brought up in the new Dreaming Tarkov channel in the XL Discord about creating campaigns similar to other PvP-centric games. And so I think that, that is a, that's also an option. They've said that there's going to be a story mode, but again, they haven't talked about that in a long time. So maybe they still, maybe they still want to do it, maybe they don't. It's also to comment on what you said about how they say things two years ago or a long time ago. Tarkov is a totally different game than it was a year ago. It was a small community of players until January, and then it exploded by a factor of at least 10. And so the game design is totally different. I would bet the end goal for Tarkov is not what it was a year ago. I don't have anything to confirm that. That's just my my gut instinct tells me they've changed what they think the game should be. So I hope that they incorporate some PvE in some way because I think it just makes the game more fun. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what we want. I, I agree. And I'm just coming back to these conversations we had because there's such a big opportunity here. And it's things like if we just make things easier in the game, I don't. that's not what PvE is about, first of all. But I do think that PvE can also have downsides that also enhance or make your game better. So, for example, I'll, I'll bring up one that was brought up and then I thought about it and I had a modification. This is the kind of stuff that I'd love to talk more about. So somebody brought up the idea that your time spent in the weapon range in your hideout uh, should affect your gun mastery skills. And... I sat there and thought about it, and I said, my initial gut reaction was, oh, that's not a good idea. And then I had to sit there and say, why? Why isn't that a good idea? And I was thinking about it. I said, well, first of all, if it was just the way that it's currently implemented, you have unlimited ammo 
in your hideout. So farming mastery skill with unlimited ammo isn't fun. It's just a grind. It would be just something everybody did at the start of a wipe or whatever to grind it out. So then I'm like, okay, well, what if they took it so you take ammo into the hideout firing range and if you shoot the ammo, you lose the ammo? Could that work? You know, and then it would incentivize like looting the ammo that nobody takes in raids, right? It could completely change how PvP is or or how you store ammo in your gamma. And it would just be a little tweak. And and I'm not saying it should be the same mastery earned as going into a raid and doing PvP. But what if you did get a little something for practicing with guns in your hideout? Or what if they took the gun range and turned it into like a course where you have to go shoot target dummies and there's a scoring system or those those training modes that you see in other games? Doesn't have to be full UI, things like that, but it would fit the character practicing outside. And if you lost that ammo or there was some downside to doing it that would be managed or you would have to figure out what's the balance, that could be a really cool and fun thing. So anyway, the idea that I thought initially was not a good idea, I'm like, well, wait, I could think about this to the point where maybe it would be a really cool PVE edition. Yeah, like the thing that comes to mind, if you've ever gone trap shooting with like a, you know, with a shotgun and clay pigeons and you you go and you shoot uh, clay pigeons and what you do is you end up you know, for people that have never done it, there you launch this little orange disc in the air and you take your shotgun and you shoot at the orange disc. And imagine if they had a trap shooting course to teach people how to flick aim and all, you know, and, and it was just about you need to go look and, and, and hit this thing at various distances and it would teach you how to like move move your gun around and being able to shoot something from coming from, you know, 20 to 40 degrees in different variation, stuff like that. There's things that they can put into the game that don't break the PvP experience. And in the end, just make all the players better, which means that the PvP experience is going to be better for everybody. I agree. And and I would just say it a little differently. I would say that raiding in Tarkov is always going to be a hardcore PvP experience. When you enter a raid with PvP on, it's always going to be stressful. It's always going to be hardcore. And I don't think adding systems outside of the raids themselves that help players do things or give them an opportunity to practice skills or earn mechanics, I don't think that's going to take away from the hardcore nature of the raids. And and that's really where I think PvE could shine is to your point, give people, maybe it's baby steps, you know, or maybe it's a fully fleshed out PvE system with loot and all this stuff, but there's little things, there's big things there it could go. So anyway, that was uh, that little bit we wanted to hit on PvE again. But I do want to spend the majority of this episode um, following up on something that we got a tremendous amount of feedback on, and it was from episode 36 when we talked about choke points, specifically in 1v1 combat with another player. Uh, personally, I received a tremendous amount of DMs uh, asking me to further explain this because I, I don't know if it just made sense to people. Um, I'm glad if that's the case. For me, it's just the way that I analyze PvP games. So I wanted to take a few minutes and just break down this choke point theory for a number of reasons. One, because I am confident 
that Ronald doesn't look at it the same way that I do. Um, but I also, rather than messaging people individually on my strategy for 1v1 combat and PvP in other games, um, I, I want to put it here so that we can have further conversation with it or or maybe it just helps somebody. And so I'm just going to jump into it. So if you didn't catch episode 36, go check that one out before you jump into this. I'm going to hit some of the same stuff, but that's a really good intro to the choke point conversation. And so here's the where I'm going to start and I'm going to jump kind of all over the place. But for me, I played not a ton of games but I played a lot of FPS games for the past 20 years. And for me, I was always looking for the thing that made people good, like what what good players would do, people that had a high skill, and, and where were they excelling that other players weren't. And it was easy in like Counter-Strike and Overwatch to look at kill-death ratio and and average damage done and, and all of these things that are regularly talked about in esports. But I found that that wasn't helpful for me learning games. And so I had to break it down more simply. And before we jump into Tarkov itself, I wanted to use this concept as it relates to other games. Because a lot of people come from other game types into like a game like Tarkov or PUBG or something that's new to them. And I think this strategy can be better explained almost through the lens of those games. And so the first like real choke point that I look at is the concept of offense and defense, attacker and defender. So this may sound really simple, uh, may sound really like overly simplistic, honestly, but here's, here's the concept. So if you've ever played Hearthstone, um, Hearthstone is a game by Blizzard. It's a card game. It's like Magic the Gathering, but digital. And the high level is each player picks a class, builds a deck, and then they battle those decks against each other. Okay. And this concept of offense and defense for me, at least as it was related to Hearthstone or any card game where you're playing against another person was you're going to build a deck and that deck is going to have a strategy. So in Hearthstone, there's things called aggro decks or an aggressive deck. The idea being to attack as fast as you can, ignore your own defense, and try to take down the opponent. And then you had a control deck. A control deck was one that controlled the board state and didn't let the opponent do anything. So here's the choke point. Before the game even started, one player is designed to be more offensive than the other even if they have similar deck builds, okay? The exciting part about Hearthstone for me was looking at it through that lens and then realizing that at different points in the game, the offense and defense switched and the people that were the best at Hearthstone, which has all kind of random elements to it, were the ones that on that turn recognized when the tide shifted. And even if they were playing an offensive deck, if they needed to go to a control situation, it was the player that acted on that and started defending, even if they were the more offensive one in the turn prior. And the reason that my opinion of card games is so high is that they go back and forth on who is doing the offense and the defense sometimes 20 times in a game. And it's about managing that choke point well that you see good players rise to the top. 
So did, did I explain that in a way that makes sense before I keep going? I think you, you summed it up well at the end when you said that it, the concept of offensive, defensive, changing back and forth is the concept of how to manage a choke point well. That I think was good. And actually, I really like this concept of going back and forth when it comes to offense and defense. And I think you really explained that well. When you're being attacked or whether you're doing the attacking, either way, you have to make choices which are different. And so this concept of choke points is really about being able to make those choices and switch your strategy on the fly, right? So whatever the situation is demanding, switching that on the fly. And so let's bring it back to Tarkov specifically. Let's bring it back to FPS and Tarkov and talk about how we can use that idea to manage an encounter in Tarkov. Yeah, and and before we go all the way into Tarkov, I want to outline one more example here. And again, I don't expect people to know everything about Hearthstone. I wanted to, again, without going into a 30-minute explanation, I wanted to at least paint that picture. And and the next thing I want to just talk about really quick is Counter-Strike, okay? Counter-Strike is a 5v5 game where there's a bomb that gets planted by the terrorists and the counter-terrorists are trying to not allow that bomb to be planted. The teams can also win by eliminating each other before a bomb is planted. Same concept as Valorant that's really popular right now. But the reason I bring this one up is that at the beginning of the game, the choke point is established. The counter-terrorists are defending, the terrorists are on offense. But everything that happens after the start of a match, every second that goes on, all of these chess pieces are moving all over the place. And there's all of these different choke points, you know, whether it's a certain area of the map, it's how many players are alive on the other team, it's where they're located on the map, etc., etc., etc. But it can switch if a terrorist plants the bomb. They're now defending the bomb from being defused, and effectively the roles have reversed and the choke point has changed. And all of the other various choke points that players may be battling about on the rest of the map have also now shifted. And so, again, slightly different example, but I just wanted to paint how I look at this choke points because in Tarkov, the choke points aren't quite as defined, but I still think they exist all over the place. So last time we talked about the different spawn points and how the choke points exist based on where you spawn in the map. Well, furthermore, as we're talking about, you know, spawn points and, and what's going on is a, the concept of play style, okay? So if you are an aggressive player, your goal is going to be to play offense as much as you possibly can. And what may be relatively uncomfortable to you is if you run into a more aggressive player or you encounter someone who's defending an area really well and they end up getting an advantage over you. And so the flip side of this is also true is if you're a more defensive player and you get forced into a situation where you have to be offensive or take control, that's the choke point. And it's recognizing when to do that that can be really important. And I guess I wanted to talk about that a little bit because I guess here's the way I want to say this. And I think this is the biggest, like, I don't want to see misunderstanding out there. I don't know what it is, but let me let me explain it this way. As a more aggressive player, 
I'm looking at this attacking and defending situation all the time. And my primary goal is to dictate the terms of the battle by being aggressive and make the player make a mistake. But here's the interesting part. In the moments or the situations when I am forced to take the opposite end of the choke point to my comfort zone, meaning I am forced into a defensive or a more passive state, and I take that situation and turn it into a win, those are some of the most memorable and fun moments I've ever had. The moments where, man, I heard someone running up a fence, and then I heard a second person running up the fence, and I have to be patient and sit on that rock and wait for them to run by, and I had the trigger discipline to not shoot the first guy as he ran by, and I waited, and I take out three enemies because there's actually a third. It's one of the most memorable, fun, beautiful Tarkov moments that I've had is when that exact thing happened on Shoreline. And that's why I think it's when fun happens is when you control the choke point and you identify when to switch. And that's when it's it's just an amazing thing. So Eric, like, what do you think about this? Like, as a more defensive mindset, I don't want to say rat because this is like me thinking that the rat and the Chad conversation while fun in the beginning, I think it's actually detrimental now. But in a more defensive mindset, is it uncomfortable when you go into an offensive play? Or like, or like how does this go to your play style? I think there's a couple of things that happen. When you play defensively, I hesitate to even describe it like this, but I'm going to for the sake of this analogy, because it's going to be very easy for people to think that this is not the way to play the game correctly. But there are very different ways to play Tarkov. And you can win by playing for a stalemate in a in a gun battle. And I have often alluded, but not really expanded upon, how I use people's aggressiveness against themselves. And the reality is that you can play a aggressive player and you can be a defensive player and play for a stalemate. You can just hold an area move back and forth and understand that they're going to come attack you and keep attacking you and keep attacking you and be comfortable with that. And that's not necessarily being a rat. That's understanding what your opponent is doing and recognizing quickly, oh, they're still pushing. They're still going to push me. And and that's fine. I'm going to use that aggressiveness and keep baiting them out to a place where I'm going to kill them and they're not going to realize where it came from. So the interesting part about being uncomfortable in a defensive playing mindset comes when you don't do that. My most memorable and exhilarating moments in Tarkov are not when I let the four people go by on Shoreline. It's when I run out in the middle like what I would consider to be a crazy person and clap three people and it's a huge adrenaline rush because it's not something that I'm used to doing. I don't play like that very often. There's this moment of exhilaration that comes when someone who's used to playing more passively does that, that makes Tarkov a lot of fun. The fun level goes up high, right? Because it pushes you out of your comfort zone, pushed me out of my comfort zone, and all of a sudden I win by doing something that I'm not generally comfortable doing or used to doing. But I do want to get back to this idea that when you're controlling a choke point, whether you're going to control it with aggressive gameplay or whether you're going to control it with defensive gameplay, the outcome is the same. Both strategies work. And that's where I think that I agree with you. That's where I think that the rat and Chad conversation has taken us to a place that really doesn't describe how Tarkov really works. And I agree with you because I think the critical thing for me was when I was starting out in this game, 
I, I was terrified, man. I'll be honest. Like I ran into a bush and I'm like, the whole world knows I'm here. <laughs> right? like, the entire map knows that I just ran into this bush. And so I played really, really slow. But I kept trying to find situations where I didn't have to play slow and, and switch it, you know, because it's little things, right? We can we can go to a hallway on factory, and I've talked about this a lot before, but not through the lens of a choke point. If one guy's holding the other angle and I'm and I'm rushing up there, he's playing defense, I'm playing offense, that's okay. But if I throw a grenade forcing him to move and now I'm holding the angle, he has a choice, to your point. He can either play defense, which is the situation he's in now, or excuse me, he can either play offense, which is the situation he's in now, because I'm controlling the angle, or he can play for a stalemate and exfil and win that way by not losing his gear, right? So it's those moments of decision of, do I take the role that was given to me and try to flip it back so I win the fight, which you can win on both offense and defense, or do I have an exit plan? And I think the better you can identify whether you're on offense or defense, the better. Because sometimes if you're on defense and you want to get back onto offense, you have to figure out how you can do that or if you can do that. And that's key because if you can't or you don't think there's a good method to get back on offense, if that's your preferred play style, probably need to, to back off. And if you're an offensive player, an aggressive player, that may be a really challenging thing to hear. But I think that's where skill really develops as it relates to PvP in Tarkov. I think every style of PvP, as your skill develops, you overcome your natural desire to avoid things that are uncomfortable. And so whether that means that you're naturally inclined to be aggressive or defensive in this context of this conversation, as your skill develops, it pushes you to be a more well-rounded player. And that happens in Tarkov. And Tarkov is one of the most extreme examples of this that I've ever participated in. Tarkov will force you to play in a way after a while that you're not comfortable with. And it goes for both ways. If you play defensively the entire time, you're just not going to progress very fast. You're just not going to get things done. If you're pushing tasks, you, you can't play defensively and get all the tasks done. You have to shoot things. You have to go plant things. You have to be able to, at a certain point, come out of the bush, really. Yeah. And if you're playing offensively, you can't just W key in Tarkov because the guy in the bush is going to kill you and you're going to be broke. And you're going to wonder why you're having such trouble with the game. And you're going to be equally as frustrated as the person hiding in the bush. And I think that's where the conversation with the rat and the chad really broke down, is that both sides weren't able to really make the other side understand. And a lot of it's in good fun. But each side is was equally frustrated or is equally frustrated, but for very different reasons, right? So it's easy to claim an air of superiority in, a, in an FPS game when it's easy to recognize that the opposite of you is something that you can overcome, right? But the problem is that the reality is each has tendencies that are equal weaknesses. And so when I say that the way to break that from my perspective is to play for a stalemate, I've been in situations where I know I have frustrated my opponents. I, I, can, I can hear you fighting me on the other side of this computer where did he go? Where did he go? Where did he go? And it's because I wasn't playing to kill the person that was in the vicinity. 
I was playing to win the raid by getting out with my loot. Because at the end of the day, winning in Tarkov is not always about kills. Winning is about exfilling. And sometimes it's about kills. Sometimes you go in and you have to kill. But the majority of winning in Tarkov is about living to fight another day with the stuff that you bring out. And so I think playing for a stalemate is a strategy that anybody can do. I agree with you. I think the only thing that's really defined as winning in Tarkov is a successful exfil. You know, you could go in and kill all the PMCs on shoreline, take out all the loot, and yeah, you may have stuff in your secure container, but if you get shot by a sniper scav on your way out, is that really a win? I mean, maybe a little bit, but it's not not as if you would have gotten out with all that stuff. So I, I agree with you. Now, I have one question for you because I can see this question in episode feedback coming. So the person who just listened to the last segment where I described winning as playing as for a stalemate and instantly thought this, ha, I beat you to it. Is it fun to play for a stalemate? So is it possible or is it even better to take the chance of dying and potentially have fun but die versus potentially get out, which is better for long-term progression? Where does fun lie on that scale for you? Not in general for people, but just for you. Where do you find that balance? As it relates to a stalemate? Yep. As it relates to the outcome of, say, 10 raids. Let's say you died seven times, but you had fun. So it's it's hard to answer because my mind's racing. But I would say for me personally, I'll say this first of all. I think stalemates were once frustrating to me, uh, especially coming from more aggressive shooters like PUBG. But now a stalemate is actually one of the most exhilarating moments in Tarkov and like stressful and good. And so when you come out on the other side, like for example, I guess I'm just thinking about a battle where someone's like shooting at me and I don't know where they are. And then I find them and I try to shoot back and then they move, I move, they shoot at me again. And it's like, I'm fractured, I'm blacked out, I'm bleeding. How do I get out of here? I've got this stuff. I don't want to lose it. The mental challenge of getting out of that scenario, I find to be exhilarating and it can be fun. It can also be equal parts frustrating if I die. But for me, it's trying to overcome that and get better so that I don't die. So to me, that's that's actually, it is fun. It's exhilarating and it's also frustrating sometimes. When it comes to like a situation where I've died a lot, out of 10 raids, I've died seven. I, I guess it really boils down to what my what my goals are at the time. And and, and like right now, I, I'll tell you this, like I, I got my 10th thick weapons case. Okay, so I'm done collecting thick weapons cases. And so now my goal is getting a fourth thick items case. That's my short-term goal in the game. And so since I'm not going to be doing the Bitcoin trades anymore, I've been selling those Bitcoins for rubles and buying moonshine so that I can do this trade faster. And so the reason I bring that up related to this is I did a bunch of raids today and yesterday and I seriously, I got dominated. Like I, I seriously couldn't survive on factory. I was getting dominated on interchange, but I had great scav raids and I was making so much money on the scav raids. And then when I got to actually buy the moonshines to, to stack those into my cases towards my goal, it felt really good and I had fun. And then I would gear back up, went back into factory, went back into interchange, and then I had good raids. And so for me, it's goal related. Like if I'm loading in to do something and I don't really know what I'm trying to accomplish, whether it's getting better at a particular 
loot run or have some sort of goal in mind, uh, it's hard for me to have fun in this game. And so I've challenged myself to make short-term goals and longer-term goals in the game so that regardless of how the raids turn out, if I'm progressing towards something, I find fun in that. I think that's interesting. I enjoy being unpredictable. I do tend to play a little bit more defensively, but as I've gotten better at Tarkov, and from the solo raid perspective, I don't think you can really do this in duos or squads of to how many, but when you're playing by yourself, you can really do this. I enjoy being unpredictable, and it's easy to tell when someone's an aggressive player in Tarkov. They rush you. They rush you, and they just keep coming, and they, they try to get a different angle, and lately I've been playing a lot of another shooter game that has helped me, I'll just say, win more PvP fights in Tarkov. And because of that, I still very much enjoy playing my defensive way. But now I do things to mess up the aggressive players. And I think that this is something that you can do to have fun in Tarkov if you're feeling like you need to change up the way that you play to get some kind of a win. And I'll give you from my perspective, because when once I started playing for a stalemate, my entire mentality changed in how Tarkov went. I used to play not to lose. That, that's how I started playing Tarkov. Because of the punishing nature of what happens when you lose, I played not to lose. And you can't play this game like that because you make mistakes. You end up playing so defensively or in such a way that avoids risk that you just are not successful. And so I don't play not to lose anymore. What I play for is to get my objective done. And if I run into aggressive players... I play to mess them up and screw up how they're playing so bad that they have no idea what I'm doing. And I, they're, I'm, they're probably either think that I'm just really bad or I'm just, you know, whatever, messing with them. And I'm talking like using smoke grenades, talking about using like flashbangs. I'm talking about shooting in different directions because people play sound so much. If you really want to screw up somebody who's trying to get you, shoot something 30 degrees off from them or throw a grenade intentionally short. Do do stuff like that. Use the environment around you. It doesn't matter what map. Pick a spot that you can use the environment around you, and you can really screw up somebody who's just W-keying towards you. Now, I'm not an aggressive player, so I don't really know how to do that from the flip side, but I can tell you that I have thrown off aggressive players and forced them to go in different directions and make mistakes by doing that kind of thing. And I find that fascinating because I think strategy is really interesting. And when you use people's natural tendencies against them, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But in that scenario, I'm playing with the I'm playing with the hope to win the engagement, but I'm not playing scared. And I think that that's the big thing that the stereotype of a defensive player is that they play scared. And some do. And if you're a defensive player out there, once you get past the point of playing scared to the point of playing to win and call it a stalemate, you're, you're not playing to be the, you know, having the most kills. You're playing to, to exfil. Your whole game changes. I agree. There, I mean, there's a number of things you said that I want to talk about. One is when you're talking about disrupting the aggressor when you're playing defensively, again, to use my lens on it, to put my words on it, I would say you are controlling that choke point. You are not allowing them to win by being aggressive. And you're changing the terms of the battle and you're moving the choke point all the time. In an open field, if you're staring at another opponent and you throw a smoke grenade in the middle of that field, 
the choke point just changed because they can no longer see through it, you can no longer see through it, so both players would have to move and the choke point changes. And so everything you talked about, to me, is you being really comfortable in your defensive role. And you've accepted the fact you're in the defensive role and the offensive player is trying to win by still being in the offensive role and and continuing to push and keeping going. And so I, I just think that's a really cool thing. I don't think it's negative. I don't think it's lack of skill. Uh, I think a skilled defender in this game can be maddening for an offensive player to to deal with, but it, it doesn't mean that one's better than the other. Now. I will say that you brought up something that I think a lot of people don't use when they're a more offensive player, which is how do you disrupt a player that is playing defensive, right? How do you turn the tables in that scenario? And again, what I look at is, yeah, you're playing for a stalemate sometimes, but my guess is that you're so disruptive sometimes that you confuse that W key player to the point where you actually get to be aggressive and you can turn the script on them because they have no idea where you're at. They have no idea where you're coming from and then you can just blast them, right? And that's when you go on the aggressive because you've caught them off guard and you take them out. Is that fair? Yes, and that is the exact point that I was talking about before. For me, where the defensive player, it becomes an exhilarating moment. Yes. When I've used all the tools, all of whatever I came up with in the moment, right? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden it works. Yep. And real quickly, because I, I kind of want to talk about a scenario, because I've got a great scenario. I would love to know what you would think in this scenario. Yeah. Because this actually happened to me. I got into a great firefight with a decently geared person. And I know because I ended up winning. And it took about seven minutes of back and forth. And this guy was, he kept pushing me, it kept pushing me, and he was getting close. And I knew I was going to lose in close quarters. So I kept falling back. And this is on shoreline. I kept falling back and falling back and kept ducking between the hills. He's throwing grenades at me, using the in-game comms to try to taunt me, whatever. And so I thought, okay, I need to get this aggressive player to move 20 degrees to one direction so I can outflank him. So I threw a smoke grenade that looked like that looked like I was throwing a cover, but I threw it about maybe 10 meters to my left. And so he knew kind of the general area where I was, but he couldn't see me. And so I threw the smoke grenade about 10 meters to my left, and then I shot like four or five shots, and I sprinted directly to my right. I sprinted for maybe like 100 meters, and then I proned, and I just waited for about 10 seconds. And then I got up, and then I kind of crept walk, scoped in, and I saw him running towards the smoke and shooting, running and shooting towards the smoke, and I heard him. I ended up almost 90 degrees off of his left side, and I killed him. And in that scenario, I was hoping for one of two things. I was hoping that he was thinking that he had shot me once and I was trying to heal and I was trying to create cover. That was what I was going for. Or I was just hoping that because I had retreated several times, I was hoping that he's like, oh, I got this. I got this rat running scared. Right. Or whatever. And I was I wanted that. I wanted that mentality from the aggressive player. And I baited him right into a situation where I was able to have him expose himself and kill them. So the way that I would break that down is the, the critical moment in that battle to me, the where, where I would look at the decision making on both players and what ultimately I believe led you to win the fight. It wasn't actually the smoke grenade that you tossed. It was the split decision, split second decision you made after tossing the smoke grenade. And it's when you tossed the smoke and then you decided to sprint 
off in another direction. And the reason that that is the decision point is because in that moment, you could have left or you could have stayed to fight. And so your decision there, I would say that you decided to become the aggressor. You threw the smoke, you ran off in a direction, you waited, and it's that, that doesn't mean you were playing defensively. That means you changed the choke point. You knew or anticipated that they would push into that smoke because you were playing defensively, and then you switched it. You took the control, you took the choke, and you flipped it. And then you came in at a different angle, scoped in, ready to attack, and you killed them. So it's not the smoke grenade. It was that split second when you knew you could have gotten away or you can attack. And that is the choke point. And that's when you flipped it. And a lot of people are going to look at this. And if we use percentages, people are going to want to say, well, you know, a lot of this is where we make all these mistakes. And I'm talking about me here where I'm playing 100% aggressive and they're playing 0% aggressive, a.k.a. defensive. That's not how it usually goes. It's usually like 55, 45. And then all these little things in the battle do this, right? You you know, I'm making a hand gesture for those of you that are listening where this percentage is constantly moving. One person throws a grenade and for a second, the offensive defense changes really quick, but then the positional comes back once the grenade settles and no one got killed by it, right? So there's all these things that affect the offensive defense, but that battle was dictated by your single decision after the smoke was played to play aggressively change your position and come back in based on what you thought the player was going to do. Love it. And it's an interesting scenario to me personally. I think it was probably one of the most successful times that I ever was able to do that. That was in an open area. There's one more detail I left out. I waited to throw the smoke until I knew that there was a line of sight block between me and the person that was chasing me. So I threw the smoke and ran so he couldn't see me run on purpose. And there are ways to overcome the defensive player too. I mean, for an aggressive player, if you want to flush somebody out with grenades, just do it. You know, there's ways to make that happen as well. And that's actually my question to you. What do you do to flush out defensive players? Because let's turn the tables on me now. What would you have done? It's, it's an interesting scenario because, again, I don't know Shoreline that well. So even if you tell me exactly where you are, probably not going to be able to figure it out. At least I don't know the terrain there well enough to, to do it. But I can answer that question. And, and the truth is, you kind of said the most effective thing in Tarkov, which are grenades for making defensive players move. And it, when we're talking about offensive defense, it's okay to win your battle. Like, let's say you chose to just sit in the smoke and wait for the person to come to you and try to use that defensive position to win that fight. Maybe you win that way too. That's okay, right? That's perfectly okay. What I love though is you outlined a situation where you flipped the choke. You turned them defensive and they're trying to figure out where you're at and you're actually on the offense. Love that. So the way that works from the flip side and the offensive player to the defensive, in Tarkov, I think it's making people move and you outlined it perfectly with a grenade. So I'm going to use my own example here. And it's actually more about perceived choke points rather than a hard choke point when you are on the offense and you think there's somebody defending an area because oftentimes defending in Tarkov means making little noise. And so I'm going to tell you how I used an offensive situation and flipped to defensive on purpose. So factory, gate three, you have the forklift spawn and then you have the spawn off to the side of it. Very common choke point is that staircase 
down to the exfil. And right there, like I would call it like a diagonal line. It's the choke point because they have to come out of that room and look left. You come down that little room and look right. And very often that's where a fight will happen is that, that, that little area. And so in this scenario, I didn't hear anybody. This honestly happened today. And I didn't hear anybody, but somebody almost always spawns over there. So what I did was I threw a grenade from a direction that I didn't think would kill anybody, but I was counting on that sound to force that defensive player to move. And they did. And what they did was they moved and they threw a grenade of their own. They did not want to be pushed. So what I did is I didn't move because I saw where the grenade went. The grenade, unfortunately for them, hit the railing and went down that metal staircase. So I knew it wasn't going to kill me. So what I did is I stayed on that corner and did not move. I crouched and I waited. And I had to wait for two minutes. And then finally, I started hearing the creeping noise. After two minutes, the defender finally thought that, man, I must have killed this guy with the grenade. Started creeping up the wall and I held my left lean right on the edge. And as soon as they came around the corner, just destroyed them. They had no idea I was there. I didn't make any noise. I didn't scope in. They had no idea I was there. So in that moment, that grenade went off. And I'm like, if I don't make a noise, this person's going to think I'm either gone or I decided I'm going to out defend them and wait for them to get offensive and start moving. And I won the fight. So that doesn't always happen that way where they come after you. But the point is, is that I threw the grenade to get them off of their defensive position and to fluster them a little bit. And then I just held an angle. Now, you don't always have to make no noise. You don't have to wait that long. But I effectively took control of that corner by making them move off it. And then I took an angle that I wanted. So to me, that's how you would reverse that scenario from the offensive player's perspective. So what you did there was you took an offensive play style. You used one of the key tactics of an offensive play style, which is to try to force the defender to move, right? But the defender didn't move. Correct. So when you threw when you threw your grenade, you figured that you didn't kill them because you had a good idea of where they were. So you didn't push either because they threw a grenade back at you. Correct. So you just waited. So you flipped to the defensive style. It, right. And we were both playing the defensive style. I would just say that I played it more defensively. I waited longer. I had more patience. Right. And so in most PvP encounters in Tarkov, you have a choice. The choice is to be patient or not. And I think that each has equal risk because the longer that you sit and that you're patient, the more risk you run of someone figuring out where you are. And you don't have to make noise for someone to figure out where you are because there's always the process of elimination. There's only sort of so many different places in an area that you can be right. and control that area. So in that scenario, I think it's really interesting because would you say that it was hard for you to sit that long or no? I would say no, because I practiced this a lot in kind of understanding what they're going to do. And, and it also came down to map knowledge in this scenario because they literally had to come this way. There's no other option than for them to come out of there. It is purely blocked off in every direction. So if they had another way to get out, yes this would have made me a little bit more inclined to move faster or go back on the offensive and try to flush them out of that corner so that I could control the area. I want to go back to my example on Shoreline. Let's, let's say you are the PMC pursuing me 
you've got me on the run. So we are, we're, we're in the woods. So we're not in a controlled area like this in factory. We're in the woods. We're ducking hills, ducking bushes. You've got me on the run. And I immediately throw a smoke. You can't see me. And I know that you can't see me because I know where you are pursuing me because you're shooting at me. Mm -hmm. I, I throw the smoke 20 degrees off, you know, 10 to 20 meters off to my left. And I run and I know that I'm far enough away that you can't hear me. And I run, I run, I sprint just for a little bit and I stop. And then you get in that scenario and you get to where you think you should be able to see me and you can't. What are you thinking at that point? <laughs> Personally, uh, I probably would never approach a smoke grenade. And this is why this is so fun, right? Because I probably would have never gone to where that player went because smoke is either a cover or it's a distraction. And the more dangerous one to me as a player is that it's a distraction. So I'm going to anticipate that it's a distraction and play to that. So in the event that someone adds more cover to the scenario, I'm going to be looking for high ground or a flank or some way that I can eliminate where the person could be. So I would say if that player made a mistake, and I don't know all the rules, I think they probably pushed into the area where the smoke was, which is probably dangerous. The mistake they made was they pushed in between me and the smoke. So they flanked. They basically chose the wrong flank. Correct. Yeah, so I, I don't think they necessarily made a mistake. Typically, once that line of sight is broken, I'm going to completely change up the approach. They kept going forward. I would be anticipating a flank, I think. But in the event that I didn't, and I got into that scenario where I got to where I think I could see you and I didn't, I typically would then go back the same way that I came for one reason only. And it's that that's the only area that I know that you can't be. Or if you are there, you made a great play to get there. Because likely, if I can't see you and it was a ridge, that means you either you had to move 90 degrees along that ridge. And if I came from, you know, the perpendicular direction, I would go back that way. If I can't find you and I got to that ridge and I can't find you, I'm running back the other way because I just cleared it. I just cleared that section and I need to reset the fight at that point or go find some cover because you may have taken the advantage over me. That's how I would play that. I would move immediately into defensive because I don't know where you are. And now you may know where I am. So I'm thinking defense. I'm thinking I cleared behind me or I'm looking for a rock or a tree or something. Yeah, my thought process was that if I could lure him out another 20, 30 yards, I would have like a 100, 100 yard kill shot and easy. And I, I, it was a very interesting breakdown because for me, I don't run at people directly. So if I can see you and I know you're there, most of the time, with the exception of Factory, Factory is a totally different map. Yeah. It's, it's just close quarters, PVP, totally different. But on the open maps, I don't run at people directly. So in this scenario, it was about using the terrain and using distraction, using sound in Tarkov and understanding what sound is in Tarkov and where and how far you can hear somebody running and walking. And that, that comes down to map knowledge. Yep. Right. And, and I'm wondering, because I'm noticing that, that I actually get out of a lot of fights where if there's another person playing like me, we're both playing for a stalemate. We both win because we, we exfil. Right. If it's a really aggressive player, there's not a lot of happy medium. And the PMC raids that I've been doing lately, if it's 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 one or the other. And sometimes I lose. Sometimes the aggressive player gets me. Yep. Right. I mean, that that's all part of the game. 
But whereas I used to lose 90% of the time when I ran up against an aggressive player, it's now down to at least winning at least 50% and some, and, and probably more than that. And, and that's really what I find super interesting about the choke point discussion is that it doesn't matter if you are an aggressive player or a defensive player, whatever you want to call those two different styles of things. It doesn't matter how you want to play. You can control the fight and flip it and win. Yeah, and it, exactly. It's exa- exactly like there's the the funny part is right choke. I I look at choke points as being all of these things perceived physical whatever we've spent all this time just talking about offensive and defensive chokes and that play style choice and the situation you're in. There's other choke points, right? There's health choke points. There's armor choke points. There's you know uh, ammo choke points. You know. There's, it's, it's all kinds of different stuff. You know, if you know someone's running a Keter and you lean around a corner and you've got a face shield on, they're going to have a hard time killing you. So the choke point's different in that scenario. So the whole idea of this conversation is that, I guess I just wanted to tell you about how I analyze the entire game of anything that's against another player. And it applies to just about everything in the game. We just went through offense and defense here. And then some different PvP scenarios from both sides. And there's, you could look at this, you could add a ton of layers of playstyles. You could add way more. You could add offense, defense, choke. You could add all that stuff. I hope that it's helpful. And that's really why I wanted to talk about it because I had so many people reach out. So anyway, yeah, I, I love talking about this. I love talking about PvP strategy. It's the thing that gets me playing almost any game that I play is the PvP in that game. And Tarkov has some of the most exhilarating and fun PvP in any game I've ever played. So that's Choke Points. Hope you enjoy. And remember, it's all about having fun. So all of this is through the lens of having fun, and it's great to talk strategy. But we will talk more strategy probably next week, it'd be my guess, because I think that this is going to be a hot topic in the XFIL Discord. So if you'd like to join in on that discussion, be sure to join in on episode... This is 38, (laughs) episode 38 feedback section. And I honestly think this is going to be great. So we look forward to chatting about this. But right now, Trigger, do you see it? I'm seeing green bars flashing. We made it. I see the smoke. I I can see the smoke. Mm. I'm coming out of the bush, Mm -hmm. heading towards the green smoke. It's time to exfil. But before we go, first of all, I just want to say thank you, as always, for listening to the show, participating in the chats and Discord participating in comments on YouTube. Thank you for all the five-star reviews on iTunes and whatever platform that you're listening on. We appreciate all of that. Please, if you haven't done any of that, please join in on all the discussions on all the platforms. It is truly one of the most awesome things to do to hang out and talk with like-minded people and nerd out on the game that we all like. If you're listening to the audio version of this, be sure to check out youtube.com slash xpmedianow, where you can see the talk show version and you can see Trigger move his hands like this. You have to see the video version of that to make that happen. And of course, if you are on youtube.com, please go ahead and hit like and subscribe and leave us a comment. We like to talk to people in the YouTube comment section as well. But that's about it for this week. Until next week, have a great time, regardless of your play style. Play defensively, play aggressively. Good luck in your raids, and we'll catch you on the next one. See you, everybody.